guys. Good morning. Oh, what an what a incredible honor it is to be here and to be a part of this winter camp. Um, like Harrison said, I now live in the country of Papua New Guinea, and so I'm throwing up some pictures for you guys just so you can see a little bit of what life looks like over there for me. Papua New Guinea is a country that is a little bit north of... Um, Australia. Many people are like, is that in Africa? No, it's not. It's a country. It's a small island that's connected to Indonesia that is north of, uh, that is north of Australia. Now, it is the most unique place, I feel like, in the world. There are over 800 unique languages and people groups in the landmass of California. And if you could drive through the country of Papua New Guinea, like we drive through California, it is said that you would reach a unique people group with a unique language, with a unique story of origin of how they were created, with a unique story of how they're going to die and what happens to them when they die every 40 seconds. It is one of the most unique places in the world. And yet, still to this day, in 2023, over half the population of Papua New Guinea is waiting to hear about Jesus. They still have never heard. They haven't gotten a chance to reject him or to follow him. They've just never heard somebody come in their language and understand their culture to communicate truth to them. And so for the last year and a half, I, I moved over to Papua New Guinea and I have begun learning the language and culture that is the national language, a language that is very limited with only 1,500 words to be able to communicate just between tribal groups. And having checked out of the national language, I'm now into this phase of allocating into a bush location. And so I'm in this season of waiting. A team has invited me to join them. We're waiting for leadership's approval. I came back to the US for a quick trip to kind of communicate with supporters and churches and to rally a team to come and help me build a house in the middle of a bush location that is very, very remote, that takes a plane and then a canoe four and a half hours upriver to get to this remote people group. And I sit here and I'm so in awe that God allowed me to be here this weekend with you. For almost 10 years, Hume Lake was my home. This place was, was my home and these people were like family to me. That I was here and I used to say that the greatest view, the most beautiful view at Hume Lake was standing on this stage looking out into the eyes of the students and the counselors and the leaders that are sitting in these pews. And I would just sit just like I am now with just these like chill bumps of just like, what is God gonna do in your lives? What miracles is he gonna do in this weekend? How is he gonna speak to each one of you? And that you're gonna go back into your communities, into your homes, into your cities, and even to the ends of the world to communicate truth about who God is from what he's doing right now in this pews. For decade, I would hear staff come. I would hear speakers come, leaders and staff and say, it was right here in this seat that I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was right here in this row that I said, God, I'll give you my whole life and I'll, I'll serve you in vocational ministry, whatever you want me to do. 
It was back there in the back corner that I said, God, I'll go to the ends of the earth to communicate truth. And I heard these stories year after year. And one of the coolest parts about my job, like Harrison said, is that we get to take camp and we get to go all over the world with it. And as a camp director, one of my, the places that, that I was given was Papua New Guinea. So I would rally a team, eight to 10 people, we would take camp, what you gonna experience in the summer, and we would take it all over the world. And so I would take every year a trip to Papua New Guinea and I would run camp for these junior high and high schoolers whose parents are working in these remote tribes and villages. And so these junior highers and high schoolers would come out to this one, this one area and we would run camp with all of these students and just be able to pour into their lives. And from the second I stepped foot into the country, I knew it was a unique place. And I remember thinking, man, what these missionaries are doing is like the most incredible thing in the world. Like they must be like, they're just like another, like I have just had a pigeon word come in my mouth. Like they're just a completely different kind of people. Like they're not the same. They just must be superhuman Christians. But I mean, this is the heart of Jesus. Jesus said to go make my name known in the far ends of the earth, and they're doing it. I just could never do what they do. So much so that I had a girl that came on the trip with me. Her name is Kelsey, and she is a girl that I was part of her life and discipled her life. I knew her family from, for like six, ten years. And she comes to me in this trip, and she goes, Rach, I think God wants me to move to Papua New Guinea. I feel like God is like stirring in my heart. And I just looked at her so matter of fact, and I says, no, he doesn't, Kelsey. <laughs> I was like, he does not want you to move here. It is very hard to live here. And I'm like, it's so hard. It's so hard for women. It's so hard for single women. I'm like, you just graduated from UCLA. I mean, I just, I don't think God wants you to serve him in Papua New Guinea. And now joke's on me, huh? <laughs> I just sit there and I think so often, like what was God doing when I was sitting there telling her no? And he's like, oh, Rach, you just wait, just wait you're gonna, I'm gonna get you so good. And, um, and so I wonder how I got here. And I think many people ask me, how did you know you were called to missions? How do you know you were called to Papua New Guinea? How do I know if I'm called? And I never have an answer for that. I don't know how to answer that because I never felt this huge calling. I never felt that God was like, now I want you to go to Papua New Guinea. Like it was like not this audible voice. It wasn't this big uh, revelation. The reality is, is that I love Jesus. I love God's word. I love watching Jesus transform people's lives. It is one of the coolest things to see God work in the lives of somebody, to take someone from darkness to light, to see someone who has absolutely no hope walk away with hope. For people that have peace in the midst of a circumstance that they should never have peace. It is one of the sweetest and coolest things to ever be a part of when you sit there and say, God, I want you to use my life. And I remember just the times of coming back and forth between Papua New Guinea and then coming back here and standing on the stage and looking out into faces just like yours. And I just, one of the things that just hit me again and again and again is how many people, how many resources, how much access we have here in this country. One of the missionaries said, Rach, if you quit your job, 20 people would sign up tomorrow to do your job. 
They would leave their cities, they would leave their homes, and they would come up to that mountain and live in a very remote place. 20 people at least would sign up to do that job. We maybe have two, three missionary families, people that come a year willing to reach, and we have over 500 people groups asking and waiting to hear about Jesus. And I feel like one of the things that, if you know me, my life motto is that this life is but a breath. It's a concept that God taught me many, many years ago. That in God's word, it says over and over again that this life, the years that you and I have on this planet, are compared to but a mist, a vapor, a breath. Here at winter camp, we see that. We go outside and it's cold and we breathe and we see our breath. We see it come out of our mouths and dissipate into the world. And that's what God's word compares the years we have on this earth to just but a breath, a mere breath. That's why Moses says in Psalms 90, God, teach me to number my days that you may create in me a heart of wisdom. And that has been my prayer for decades. God, teach me to number my days. My life is just but a breath here on this earth. I'm not promised tomorrow. So help me not to live for this temporal, small, short life, but to look above to eternity and to live vertically, believing that there is something beyond this temporal life. It is a perspective that changes everything. It is a perspective when we hold to that, we believe God is who he says he is, and we say that this life is just but a breath. It's just so short compared to all of eternity. That changes our perspective on life. I could stand up here and I could give you a lot of statistics. I could probably spend the entire chapel with graphs and images of numbers, but I don't believe that numbers really hit. I could tell you that 41% of the world, not just in the country of Papua New Guinea, but of the entire world, are unreached, unengaged people. 3.2 billion people, 10 times the population of the United States of America. But those, even to me, and coming back and forth to Papua New Guinea were just numbers. It was just numbers. And I would wonder, why doesn't my heart break for that? I think it's so hard for our brains to comprehend how blessed we are. That in just a simple thing like a phone, we have the ability to Google any spiritual question that we want to know in hundreds if not thousands of commentaries and podcasts and sermons and apps and websites come up with so much information that our minds would never be able to read it all. We have how many worship songs that we can sit and we can stand in awe of and sing and, and speak truths over. We have leaders and mentors and churches and Bible studies that we go to. We have every resource and access that we would need to live a godly life. We have more translations than we could ever think, so many different translations of the Bible that we argue about which one is more godly. 
And yet there are people in the world that have no access to God's word, not a single translation in their language. Jesus, in his final words, told us to go. Make disciples of all nations. And so I look at that and I don't feel like I have to be called. I remember just sitting in the tension of it, sitting in the reality that my eyes couldn't unsee the need. And then my eyes couldn't come back here and see the abundance and the resources that we've been given. We are so blessed and here we sit in a country, in a nation from the time, a country, a nation of innovators and athletes and business and entrepreneurs that we are told from the time that we are so very little that you can do anything that you want to do. You can be anything that you want to be if you work hard enough. This American dream, it just, it lies just far enough out of reach, but has an illusion that we can obtain it. In high school, we feel if we just get just enough good enough grades, if we're in just enough extracurricular activities, that we can go just to the best college and get the best job and find the right spouse and then get married, buy a house, get a car, have kids, get a better house, get a better job, and then we just someday will just be happy the more things that we get. That someday we can obtain happiness Retire and play golf in Palm Springs. And my question is, is that, is that all that God intended for our life? Is that the fullness and the purpose and the life that he has for us? Or is there something more? Is that the life that we see that Jesus modeled? If we say, I want to follow Christ, I want to follow Jesus, does our life model after his. And so what does it look like for us to live these surrendered lives? How do we get there? I feel like the answer lies in faith. In Hebrews 11, it says this. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hope is this assurance of what we are hoping for, this ownership of this truth. And hope is, is a reality. Now, hope is a, a reality that we don't currently have. We're hoping for it, right? By mere definition, if, if we had it, we wouldn't be hoping for it. And so this faith is us sitting there and saying, I have an assurance, a certainty of this future hope. And the conviction, the conviction of that invisible thing, that assurance, it lies in the one who spoke the hope into being. For me, I look back and I see the faithfulness of God again and again and again through his word and in my own life, I can see it. And in the lives of others, I can see it. And this is what gives me this confidence because it's the power of the one who spoke the hope into being. 
Hebrews 11 goes on and methodically walks through the Old Testament, starting with creation and going character by character by character of just this hall of fame of, of people that had faith. Some, I wonder, gosh, God, why did you put this person in there? Because they're not perfect. None of these people lived perfect lives. We read of Noah and how he moved with godly fear, displaying that faith causes us to action. When we believe God is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do, then it causes us to move with action. Can you imagine how foolish Noah looked? Building this massive monstrosity of a boat without a single drop of rain falling from the sky. How people must have mocked him and made fun of him and yet he moved in action because he believed in the one who called him to move. We look at, at Abraham. Abraham left everything on a promise that God says, I'm gonna make you a father of many, many nations. <laughs> that he left in his old age and left all of his comforts, his home, his, his property, his land, and lived the rest of his days in a tent as a nomad without security, showing us that God causes us this, this faith in him causes us to step out of our comfort zone into the unknown and to trust him. Sarah, Sarah laughed at God when he told her that you were gonna conceive a child at the age that she was. Just in disbelief, but when faced with the question, is anything too hard for God? She wrestled with that question and came to the fact that nothing is too impossible for the God I believe in and I serve. And so she trusts him. Our faith trusts God that he can do the impossible despite our circumstances, despite what seems impossible in our minds, a faith in a God that is bigger than us believes he can do the impossible, that it isn't up to us. We look at Moses, Moses who grew up and then decided, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, to live in the lack of, lack, life of luxury of the Egyptians and chose to be mistreated with God's people because that's where he, he knew that God's people were. By Jericho. I think of the story all the time of Jericho and people just walking and marching around, believing that just in marching around this city, this powerful, mighty city, that God was going to crumble walls and turn over the people to, him, to them. Sometimes we step forward in faith and we have no idea how God is gonna fully come through. We just trust the one who is, who's told us to go. Story after story we read in Hebrews 11, the author moves through these stories so quickly because the author of Hebrews assumes that the reader knows each one of these stories intimately, and I just hit on a few. There are many, many names in this chapter. And sometimes I wonder for those of us in this room that wanna grow in our faith, that want to expand our, our trust and our, our foundation in the Lord, 
Do we know these stories of these men and women who acted and lived in faith? But in verses 33 through 38, we read that their lives saw these incredible highs, that they experienced the most incredible miracles. They conquered kingdoms. They were stopping the mouths of lions. They escaped death. They were mighty in war. But then it also speaks of these incredible lows, that they were tortured, flogged, mocked, imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two. They were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. They were holding to a promise and a belief, a faith that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. And the crazy thing that Hebrews 11 reminds us is that every single one of these people listed in Hebrews 11 died without seeing the fruition of this promise. They died believing in a hope that God was going to bring a redeemer, that he was going to bring someone to save them from their sin. One of the crazy things I feel like is walking through when a new tribal group is is hearing truth for the very first time. My friends were working in a tribe called Maliali. They spent three years learning their language and their culture and their lives, and then they they taught them how to read and write so that they could then read God's word. And as they began to translate the text and to translate lessons and teach systematically from Genesis creation all the way through Christ and his return, through the time, people are wondering, God promised he's going to bring someone to redeem them. And so as different characters emerge, they ask the question, is Moses, is Moses the guy? Is Moses the one? Is David, David, is he the guy? Is he the guy that's gonna bring us back into relationship with our creator? And on and on as they go through the text until it's so obvious that Christ is the one. This truth that we can look back on. I look at these people that live their lives completely sold out for a promise and a hope because they saw the faithfulness of God in their lives. And how much greater I feel like our faith should be, that we have the privilege of looking back. Jesus Christ did come to this earth. He is not only a historical figure but we can see and understand through God's word that he was a spotless, perfect, sacrificial lamb, that he was sinless, and he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross, and he died and rose again, providing a relationship between us and the creator of earth, that you and I have been made right with the God of the universe, for those of us that believe and have put our faith and trust in him. That we can look back and see what God has done. And we can look forward and know that this isn't the end of the story. That he's coming back. And he's not gonna come back as a suffering servant. He's gonna come back as a reigning victorious king. And he's going to divide the world. 
And those that have put their faith and their trust in him will live in eternity with him. And this breath of a life will look just like the breath that comes out of our mouth as we stand outside. This faith in God is a muscle. It's a muscle in our own, in our own soul that as we trust God in the little things, he strengthens us. He gives us the ability to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Where just less than 10 years ago, I'm sitting in Papua New Guinea thinking, this is incredible what they're doing and there's such a massive need, but I could never, ever do it. And now I stand, having lived in Papua New Guinea and going back in just a few short weeks, and I still feel the same way. God, I don't know how you are going to allow me to do this work. It is too big for me. It feels too impossible. But I'm just living with the faith of saying, God, my life is yours. When I sat in that tension of just of the massive need and the massive abundance that we have here in the United States. And I sat in the tension of that and I said, ask God, what do you want me to do? Because God, I, I don't fit this missionary bubble. I'm not, I'm not in my 20s, I'm years old. And then I also am I'm not married, I'm a woman in a country that is very anti-woman in many ways, that it's not safe. And God, are you asking me to do this? Is this where, is this, this tension, what do I do with it? Your word says to go. I'm just gonna take another step of faith and another step of faith, and I don't know the end of this story. I think I used to believe in high school when I would look at my counselors, my youth, my youth pastors, when I would go to camp and see speakers on stage and think, man, I can't wait to have a faith like theirs that just attains to this place that never doubts, that never questions, that never thinks I'm not good enough or not, not strong enough to serve God. I just wish I had that faith all the time. And I've realized the older I get that yes, I am I'm stronger than where I was in high school and yet my faith is still being refined and strengthened daily as I see my own weaknesses and I am humbled again and again and again. But I'm reminded of God's worthiness. I see how the gospel transforms lives. I was talking to my friend in Malayali last night as she was just saying again and again, it just blows my mind how different it is living here now that there are believers. Now that there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Heaven has become that much sweeter. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. We will be aware just truly how far we have missed the magnitude of our Savior as we live in this life. And we get consumed by the things of our world. We in the United States of America have been given much, not just in resources and money and education, but in the knowledge and the access to God's truth. And it was never meant to stop with you. 
It was never meant to be just for you and just for your city. God wants to use you to make his name known throughout the ends of the earth. The question is, how does he want to do it? And are you living in a place of saying, God, my life is yours? Every day, this life is but a breath. I don't know if I have tomorrow or a week from now, but God, I have today. And so may my life reflect how you lived on this earth as I follow you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that uh, you are the perfect example. God, that Hebrews continues on to tell us that we, God, that you challenge us since we're surrounded by all of this cloud of witnesses, all these men and women that have walked out and stepped out in faith that we can look back in the Old Testament, but we can even look forward, God, as we look even into our own sphere of influence of the men and women that live with great faith. That you say, since we are surrounded by such that, of witnesses of faith, may we lay aside the sin that entangles us, the pressures of the world and the culture that we live in, and may we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you endured the cross. Christ, you're our example. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the ability to see our lives, to teach us to number our days, to not be consumed with trying to build our own little kingdom here on earth that is temporary when you have a heavenly, eternal kingdom waiting for us. God, may we not waste this breath of a life you've given us. But may we surrender it day by day by day. And may you strengthen our faith to do things that we find ourselves saying, oh God, I can't believe you allow me to be a part of this work. Because we're so in awe and aware of your power through us. God, for the students that sit before me, that wrestle with real decisions of what college to go to and what their future should look like, what jobs they want, and they envision their life ahead. For those that believe in you, Jesus, I pray that they would just desire whatever it is that you have them do. They would first care more of the man or the woman that they are gonna become. God, use our lives as we surrender them to you, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.